This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment. The conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. As uh, many of you know who listen regularly, our normal format is we interview some of the best and brightest nonfiction uh, writers out there. But every once in a while, we think it's time to just talk books and talk about what we're loving. And since we um, are all addicted to the idea of the summer being when we can get to all those books we might not have gotten to, I thought we would help you think about what those books are. And who better to help us but Bill Goldstein, who has joined us before. Bill is the founding editor of the book site for the New York Times uh, on the web uh, when that started. He does Bill's books on NBC's Weekend Today. He is the author of a book that I adore called World, The World Broken Two, Virginia Woolf, T.S. Eliot, D.H. Lawrence, E.M. Foster, and the Year That Changed Literature, which I encourage you all to pick up. And he's currently working on a book about Larry Kramer. And Bill reads all the time and he reads everything. So he's the perfect partner in crime um, for us to just talk books that you'll uh, want to have. And uh, don't worry if you're driving, you don't have to write them down. Uh, you can always go to the uh, Lit Hub Radio website and we'll post the title. So just enjoy the conversation and know you can make your list later. Uh, so Bill, welcome to Just the Right Book. Well, thank you, Roxanne. I'm so glad to be back. I had such a good time talking last fall. I think we were previewing the fall. Yeah. I thought it was the most crowded season we had ever seen. And I, I don't, the books keep coming. I mean, I guess that's, that's good. And but. great books keep coming. So, you know, it's a lot of times I don't read that much fiction. And a lot of times I find myself not finishing books. I'm like, yeah, you're not telling me the story in a different way, or I don't really care. And this year, to either my chagrin or joy, everyone I've opened, I'm like, holy cow, this is fabulous. What's the what's the one you're thinking? Are there a couple of books that you're thinking of when you say that? In particular? Well, the the one that I um, almost resented starting. That we were considering for a signed first edition. So our book buyer asked me to read it was in paradise, you know, which is another 800 page book. And like her previous book, um, her, I always mispronounce her last name. It's Yanagahara, right? Yanagahara, yes. Yanagahara. I couldn't put it down. It was so fabulous. I'm going to just tell a quick story about that because it was you know, my brush with greatness. Um, so that book was published in January, I think. Right. Um, I was so afraid, just 
I, I wasn't resentful of it. I was so fearful that I wouldn't love it as, mm. as I had loved A Little Life. Um, and I, after I read A Little Life, I went back and read her first book, The People in the Trees, People in the Trees. And I, I liked it and I could see where she was going, you know, but I didn't, I, I, I was so nervous about re reading To Paradise. Like I knew I would get something out of it, but would I have that kind of emotional reaction? And so I, when I got the galley, which was you know, a number of months before uh, publication, I mean, you know, five months, whatever it was, mm. I resisted reading. I was so afraid. You were afraid. This book that I had been waiting for for so long, and here I was afraid to read it. So I let it sit for months. Then I did read it and loved it, just as you did. I mean, it took me a while to get my bearings in it because she yeah. something very unusual with the with the different time frames. Uh, basically, the same house, uh, but in different centuries. And uh, what happened was, so when the book was being published, she was doing an event at BAM, uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music, and she was going to be interviewed by Dean Baquet, who is the executive editor of the New York Times because Hanya Yanagihara is the editor of T Magazine. And so the morning of the event, uh, they called me, Doubleday, her publisher called me to see would I be the understudy to interview her if Dean Baquet on that day when they did their uh, COVID tests turned out to be positive. So uh, obviously Doubleday knew of my enthusiasm about Yanaga, Hanya Yanagahara. So I was all day getting ready in case I had to go on to interview her. And I quickly re-looked through all of her books, you know, took all these notes and I went to BAM, still not knowing if I was actually going to be because <laughs> he took the tests sort of just in the wings. And so I'm, I arrive at BAM and just as I get out of the subway, which is a block or so from BAM, I get a text saying, you know, the Dean is- Dean's is fine and good. Gone. And so of course, then I sat in the audience and was in the end relieved uh, not to have had to go on in this, this understudy way. But uh, the next day, uh, Hanya Yanagahara, who I've never met, uh, sent me the nicest note about the inter, you know, thanking me for the interview uh, that didn't happen. Prep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so, Bill, I, I want to correct. I think I said in paradise. It's to paradise. Yes, to paradise. To paradise. Yeah, I said in paradise. Well, I. Um, I so I, we'll both agree. We'll. We'll both agree that the 800 page, it is, it, it is a work of art and genius, I think, in the way, you know, she tells the story and a little bit, I agree, Bill, that, you know, I would encourage readers to surrender to it and it will come together in a way, but not try to sort of get their arms around it right away, because if you do that, it very quickly, and you, you become so attached to the characters. You do, and what the thing, I mean, it's actually a perfect book. I mean, it was published in January. It's a perfect summer book if you are looking for a long, enveloping novel, as many people are. And I think it just takes a little while. I mean, it, to get your bearings, because the it's, the first part is set um, in, uh, I think, 
it's the late 1970s, I think it's the 1890s. And um, the, it's, it's a, a recognizable American past, and yet it's also an alternative American right. past. And so just as you try to get a grasp on fixate, fixing yourself and she fixes you in the 19th century of her imagination, then it's easier to move forward to yeah. the one that takes place in the 20th century, et cetera. And the and guidance for anybody is the Civil War didn't end in a unified the United States. Right. And, and so, but let's go on to another, a book but that you're paradise, loving, Bill. To Paradise will, will be one good thing. I, I love the way you said, you know, that you were sort of resentful or you weren't sure, because I, some of my favorite books, a, a couple that I want to talk about, I, I resisted at first because they have, I'll talk about a couple of novels, that they have things that I fear I'm allergic to. Mm. And, um, uh, and then I turn out not to be. So one of the books I want to mention is coming out uh, next month, I mean, in June, called Horse by Geraldine Brooks, who mm. books I love. Uh, she wrote uh, March, which is sort of the alternate story of little women about the father in the Civil War. She also wrote a magnificent book called Caleb's Crossing. Uh, she wrote a book called People of the Book. All of her books are just um, uh, amazing. And I was a little afraid of this because it features a horse. And, yeah. Um, I, I'm still I, sitting there. <laughs> you're, are you sitting astride or side saddle? You know, you have side saddle. Side saddle on it. Um, I was a little wary of it just because, you know, I like horses as well as anyone. And when I was younger, I used to uh, ride at summer camp and, and things like that. But I, I, the, the Jane Smiley novel that I liked the least, unfortunately, and uh, right. imagination was Horse Heaven. And I, I hate to say, although now I could say it because it's about 20 years ago, that I didn't finish it because I just, I, I, I don't care about horses. Please, nobody, you know, uh, uh, kill me uh, as, as characters. And yet this is built around the horse. I mean, it's, it's, it's a horse. It's, it's built around what happens when when a skeleton of a horse is is discovered it goes deeply back into american history uh, to to talk about slavery and uh, uh, an enslaved boy and his freedman father uh, in kentucky it has a part in the present day and i i really was won over and geraldine brooks uh, is such a beautiful writer sentence by sentence but also in the the hugeness of her kind of imagination and understanding of, of the past and mm. much of it in the 19th century. But she's also written books about you know, England in the 17th century and, and, and stuff. And so, so I was very impressed and I really came to love it, but I did have that bit of allergy um, and, and so I overcame it. Uh, so the title of the book is? Horse. Is right. Horse. And uh, a number of books, I, I, I have had an allergy lately to memoir, uh, or I fear I do. And then mm -hmm. I just say, oh, what more can I read in memoir? And I've read so many books, re so many memoirs recently that I really loved. I mean, they, I don't, I hope I, they would still be <laughs> uh, relevant for summer reading. Uh, one is 
Margot Jefferson. She. I'm dying to read that book. Oh my God, you must read it. It's very brief. It's it's 200 pages, but it's a very small, trim-sized book, and it's one of those books that you can't believe how compressed it is and how much there is, both in an excavation of her own life, but then in it's called constructing a nervous system, and it's about uh, she her previous book was called Negro Land. And it's about growing up in Chicago as the daughter of upper class uh, black uh, parents. I mean, her father was a doctor, et cetera. Her mother was a socialite and about the special universe that that was the, the good things about it, the isolating things about it, the uh, unhappy things about it in terms of the pressures it put on her. Um, and, and this is a book about her cultural obsessions, I mean, of, of the time and as an adult. So she talks about Ella Fitzgerald and she talks about Bing Crosby and she talks about Josephine Baker. And she talks about all these things that you wouldn't, like Bing Crosby, you wouldn't necessarily expect that are important to her, but that she explains so beautifully. Mm. And so what's interesting is it excavates, as I say, her own life, but she's made an art of deflecting. It's not a, a self-revelatory confessional memoir. It reveals herself. Uh, she's a Pulitzer Prize winning critic. I mean, so it makes sense that she talks about these artists and their sounds, uh, the sound of their music, et cetera, that, that influenced her. But it's not a confessional memoir. And yet it comes, you come away having felt that you have read this book revelatory of this, of this woman and of this whole era. So constructing a nervous system. And then the other book I enjoyed so much, I just read uh, is called Fly Girl by Anne Hood, whose novels I've really, really liked and who's written other memoirs too. And uh, this is about her time beginning in the late seventies as a stewardess. And again, she, it's, it's a lot about how she wanted to be a stewardess, how growing up she, that was her dream and then she fulfills it but she becomes a stewardess in 1978 just as deregulation is changing everything about the airlines and it's also about uh, the changes that have happened to american women uh in the last almost 50 years or 45 years and i found it very hard in a certain way to read it just at this moment when we are having uh so much uh, with the Roe v. Wade decision that is uh, changing things that that from 1973, 1978, we, she and other people sort of took for granted as some measure of progress. So Fly Girl is an extremely moving and also just she has wonderful, wonderful stories about flying. And then her dream, in addition to flying, was always to be a writer. And so then it tells the story of how she becomes the novelist uh, mm. that she has become, I mean, and telling the story in particular, of writing her first novel and selling it and uh, all of that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I, I would recommend that. So I, I, I come away feeling, oh, I, I'm allergic to these books. I resent that they exist uh, because I don't want to read another memoir. And then I just fall in love with them. And so uh, speaking of speaking of a memoir, I had a book that's been hanging around my house. I, I probably moved it any number of times. And then in that way that you pick up a book that's hanging around sort of accidentally, I picked it up 
and it's called Without a Map by Meredith Hall. And I think it was written like in 2007 or 2008. It's still sort of in print. And I thought, how is this woman going to tell me a story? It's a memoir. She's, I think, almost exactly my age, so 70s. And I have not read a memoir that was this raw, honest, riveting in a very long time. Meredith Hall got pregnant at 16 in 1965 when you would get expelled from school for that, when her mother threw her out, her father begrudgingly took her in, um, you couldn't get an abortion. Um, and she, there was no allowing her to keep the baby. So she had to give the baby up. And in that cruel way where the doctor, you know, in those days, if you were pregnant at 16, you were just a slut. I mean, there was no, there was no stories about it. There was no there was no anchoring it in any background. You were just a stupid slut. And the way Meredith Hall tells the story of her life and her parents who were not very kind or gracious or understanding is in its entirety, a story about forgiveness and love. And it, she is such a gifted writer. She she wrote a, a a novel maybe two years ago now, maybe a year and a half ago called Beneficence that, you know, had a little bit of a buzz about it, but then didn't get the attention that I think a lot of people thought it would. But man, this memoir is as perfect a memoir as you could want to read. God, you, so what's the title again? Meredith Without Hall? a Map. Without a Map. I, thank you. I, I have not heard of this. Yeah, Meredith Hall. Uh, the, um, oh, that sounds, that sounds. It was, it was wonderful. So there, um, uh, I want to, I mean, since we're talking about summer books and since you're talking, you've just recommended another book to me, uh, I want to hark back a little bit um, to uh, the idea of Christmas in July. Because, mm -hmm. uh, one, of, uh, one of the books that if people are looking for a short book and Christmas in July, uh, I found this book because Roxanne, you wrote one of the most beautiful emails about it. Um, I looked it up because I saved it. I bet this is Claire Keegan. Yes, yes. So <laughs> you wrote, you sent the email, I think it was on January 2nd. Mm. And wow. Um, I, I, I looked at, I was looking it up just before we began to talk. And it was such a beautiful uh, email, a, a brief description of this book. And I think uh, your friend, is it Mark? Mark Salter. Salter. Had recommended it to you. Yes. And compared it to the stories of William Trevor. And uh, so I immediately, forgive me for not buying it at R.J. Julia, because I don't live in Madison, Connecticut. As long as you bought it at an independent I, bookstore. I ran to Three Lives, which is- Good, perfect. Street, which perfect. Is two blocks 
uh, from our apartment. I mean, so I- And did Toby have it? Yes, and it was by the cash register, a nice pile. Yes. And I, I went on that day. I mean, I just, uh, I, I, I looked it up on your website. I thought, oh, you know, I can't even wait to have it shipped. I mean, this book, this makes me want to read this book immediately. And so I bought uh, a copy and I think- And I the bought, title is? Oh, the small, the title is, sorry, Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan, which is, a, a, she's an Irish writer. It's set uh, in the weeks leading up to Christmas. It is such a magnificent mm. small book. I mean, just as I was saying about the Margot Jefferson book, you can't believe how much is achieved in the compression of this very yeah. short book, which is basically a novella. I mean, is that is that the Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I, so when I got there, and uh, I, I don't think they had seen your email, but uh, as soon as I came in and started talking about it, they pointed out the pile, which was right, by, you know, if you're waiting online to go to the cash register and they had a nice pile and all of them had read it and all of them loved it. And after that, after I read it, you know, the next week I went back to say how much I loved it. Oh, and I gave it also to my husband and he read it uh, in, in January immediately. Uh, I went back and I was talking to one of the women who works there. And then we got talking about William Trevor and I had read William Trevor's stories, but I had never read any of his novels. So I bought two of his novels, which mm. I get to read. I mean, I, I have to say, but so, so uh, you, you did send me- I'm glad. Uh, well, it's so, so exquisite. And, you know, it, it's theme to me, you know, it had the kind of drama in the everyday that William Trevor is renowned and justifiably renowned for. But it also covered a topic that I feel we're losing sight of, and that is a quiet bravery yes. of doing the right thing, where there's a price and there's a cost. And it's done, Claire Keegan tells that story so perfectly that you are compelled to reflect on your own capacity to behave that way if there were a price. And, and yes, I just want to apologize. I don't know if this is audible in the background, but you know, the ice cream truck that is outside our apartment because we live across the street from a grade school and they're not supposed to play the music as often as they are. So I hope that isn't intruding, but uh, we won't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, so yes, I agree with you about that. And what's interesting to me is that, of course, there is, you know, there are those calls uh, upon us for bravery and examination of the price that we have to pay for things for for that bravery and for community and for relationships and for love and and for life itself. And what she does so beautifully, I think, is it's set in 1985, I think. Mm -hmm. In Ireland. In Ireland. And so what I found remarkable was how, uh, how essential the questions are, and yet how it also felt like a novel of the past. I mean, that, you know, that here she evoked the period yeah. so well that it was, it, it felt, well it, well, it is a historical novel, and I've read a lot of novels set in the 80s or 90s now, and I 
sometimes find it shocking that books set in my own lifetime are historical novels, but it has, you know, like, oh my God. I mean, I read- It's a little scary. I mean, I read a novel. Historical novel. (laughs) I read a novel a few years ago. I wish I could remember the name, but it was set in sort of the art world of New York in the 1980s. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is a young woman writing this who had no awareness of this period. (laughs) Um, She did a beautiful job. And yet um, there is, uh, this is my own lifetime, please. I, I don't want to read it. Yeah. So Bill, to so make sure we get enough reading for everybody, let's cover uh, a couple of books. And then I've got a couple more books. Okay. Uh, so one of the things I uh, want to recommend uh, is there are two books coming out. We You were talking about how this is usually a nonfiction author's uh event or you know podcast and one of there are two books that are coming out this summer one in june and one that is coming out in august and they're very similar in in what they're about and yet they're also completely different and also both uh i i, I hate to say riveting because they're they're disturbing works of nonfiction mm. about the healthcare system in this country and one is called under the skin the Hidden Toll of Racism on American Lives and on the Health of Our Nation, which is by Linda Villarosa, uh, who uh, writes about the unequal outcomes among Black and white Americans uh, and takes not only uh, is writing very much about the present, but about the last 40 years and beyond um, about HIV and AIDS and how it's not racism of individuals, although she has stories about that too, but also uh, the structural. It's structural. That uh, she's been working on this book for a number of years because she did a a fantastic, I mean, again, when you praise these things, you want to say it's fantastic in a disturbing way, Uh, but an article in the New York Times Magazine about four or five years ago that I've never forgotten about, about uh, HIV and AIDS among Black people and the, the inequities uh, compared mm. to how gay men and white gay men you know, experienced uh, the epidemic. And it's so- it's Not that they were treated so well. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I meant over time, you know, once drugs became available, yeah. AIDS inhibitors, and then about the unequal access to medication, to, to health insurance. So, so this is a book she's been working on for many, many years. And then of course, the COVID pandemic. pandemic. Yeah. So, so it makes it timely in a way that it would have always been timely, but now is even more important. And then the other book uh, is called The Viral Underclass, The Human Toll When Inequality and Disease Collide by Stephen Thrasher. And that's coming out in August. Under the Skin is coming out, uh, I think, at the end of June uh, or middle June. Um, and uh, the viral underclass is uh, also, it's a lot more about uh, the pandemic, but it also has a lot about the, uh, and, and what has played out over the last two years. It's almost like on the ground reporting in a way of what has been going on in the last two years and has the same firm ground in history. Uh, Thrasher uh, teaches at Northwestern, 
Um, and so they're both really good books and, and you know, maybe you can have one or both of them on. I'm sure they- Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, that's a good heads up, Bill. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I just always forgot about taking my pills and vitamins and I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. Now I've been on it for about a couple weeks and I love it. it. Doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has a kind of mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. Why do I consume it? I'm always on the go. And having something that I can mix together really quickly into a provided bottle is just the easiest way for me to take in the vitamins that I need every day. And not that I'm the most healthiest eater, but I do focus on what I consume. And the fact that it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting great is really important to me. And it supports better sleep quality and recovery, as well as mental clarity and alertness. And I think that's the best part about Athletic Screens, that it uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. And it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And as I said, I care about where my food and everything I consume comes from. And Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company. In 2020, AG purchased carbon credits that supports projects protecting old growth rainforest. And for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the US. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go visit athleticgreens.com slash writebook. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash writebook to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So an, a, a nonfiction book that I finished uh, last night, uh, because I'm interviewing uh, the author on Thursday, is called Into the Forest by Rebecca Frankel. And uh, it is a book, it's a Holocaust book. And yeah, yeah. I've my parents are Holocaust survivors. So I've read, you know, and a, a countless numbers of books about the Holocaust. And then I sort of became allergic to them, you know, to, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that, but I picked this book up um, and it is a story set in a small town in Poland or it starts in a small town in Poland. And um, 
you know, by way of quick background, Germany and Russia in 1939, as a reminder to anybody, uh, signed a pact of non-aggression and basically divided Poland. So Russia occupied the eastern part of Poland and Germany occupied the right side, uh, the western uh, side of Poland. And then in a way that wouldn't be surprising, Germany decided, well, forget the non-aggression. We're going to we need to get to Moscow. Therefore, we also need the rest of Poland. Anyway, in this, it's basically about the Rabinowitz family and the Lazowski family. And they survive in a way that, you know, like any of these stories, it just defies anything that you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And is a love story, is a story of survival, it's a story of, you know, how do you take risks and make decisions? So there's two things of note about it. One is Rebecca Frankel is an extremely gifted writer in putting you in the sense of urgency of being in that time and and place where what is going on feels palpable to you. And she has a tight, detailed way. I mean, I can't imagine the amount of research that she did. But the other is as we watch the news at night about what's going on in the Ukraine, that I don't think many of us could have imagined that we would again see the kind of barbarous, barbarian behavior mm-hmm. and 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 disregard for civilians and unilateral invasions and people's lives unended and making a decision to become a refugee, to stay there, to hide, to, I, so I, I loved this book. I love the way she wrote it. There's lots of element of surprises, lots of history, lots of resilience, but I felt so sad. I felt so sad to think that this, you know, whether it's in Syria or the Ukraine or that this is still, that this is what world history looks like. Oh my God, well, I, 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 this, is, this is like small things like these. I mean, I want that you've made me <laughs> read this book. I mean, I, I, what, when is it being published or is it it's out? It, it's out, it's oh, out. Thank yeah. you. I mean, I, I can't wait to read this book, it just sounds so. Uh, yeah. Bad. So let me cover a brand new fiction book that's just out. And and I picked it up because it was getting a lot of buzz. And it's called Trust. Yeah. By Herman Diaz. Yes. it's. I'm reading it now, right now. Are you loving it? I'm loving it. You know, again, I, I don't want to say I was allergic, um, but I was allergic. That, that's our theme, Bill. Our theme is allergies. I mean, it's, you know, hot pollen and al- book allergies. Uh, the, I was a little worried because of the interlocking narratives that I thought mm. were not going to grab. Work. I'm now halfway through and I am completely hooked. So uh, no spoilers, but it, it is really good. So please say. So for listeners, 
it is at its core the story of a financier that looks like a JP Morgan or a, J, a John D. Rockefeller. Um, it starts in the 1800s, it goes to the present. But we end up hearing the story of the main character from a number of perspectives. And I, I don't have to tell anybody, but somebody's life from a variety of perspectives generally doesn't look like the same life. No, that's what was so, that's what's been so amazing. And, and he does a, it reminded me that I have his previous book in Into the Distance or In the Distance near my bedside, but I've never picked it up, but now no, I'm going book. to. The same, but, I'm in the same boat. But Herman Diaz, this book is sort of like a dazzling way of writing where you have, you know, first person, second person, third person, different perspectives. And you're, you're not really sure whether you're dealing with reliable narrators, even though, and he just pulls it off. He just pulls this off. I finished it. And, you know, it's one of those books that you finish and you need to sort of gather yourself. Oh, um, I'll, 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 so keep I'll, at it. I, I, I will finish it and gather myself. That's a very, uh, I'm, I'm All right, Bill, we have five minutes. Give us okay. two more quick books. Okay. One thing I would say is I'm, I just finished a, an author who I hope more people will know about this time. I mean, he's, he's, his name is Andrew Holleran, uh, and he wrote a famous, uh, a groundbreaking uh, gay novel in 1978 called Dancer from the Dance, which is kind of one of the one of the foundational books of uh, the first full flowering of LGBT literature in the late 70s. And his new book is called The Kingdom of Sand and it is being published uh, June 7th. I mean, so, so relatively soon. Uh, he is a gorgeous writer. This is a book set in uh, Northern Florida where this older man uh, is living after his parents' death and about coming to terms with not so much his own death, but the specter of death. And mm. uh, Andrew Holleran, just sentence by sentence, is one of the most beautiful writers I have ever read. And, mm. um, uh, he, uh, this is his first novel in I think 16 years. His last book was called Grief, which was again, a short novel, very short novel about uh, all of his characters are somewhat autobiographical. They all have different names or in this book the, the narrator is unnamed, uh, although plenty of other people do have names. So there's that mystery at the core of, of the identity of this person. Um, but the novel Grief is about this writer like Andrew Holleran who comes to Washington DC and becomes obsessed with Mary Todd Lincoln when he reads uh, uh, her letters, I think, a book of her letters. And uh, he's just a profound writer on life and death. I mean, and of course, AIDS is somewhat in the background here, even though uh, the, the death is of his parents due to old age. And one of the things that he does uh, so magnificently is, as I say, focus on death, but to make life come out of it so mm. much. The art, art of that makes death into life and makes it seem so life giving. Um, and and I, I find Andrew Holleran is just a, a gorgeous writer, and I 
hope uh, people will read The Kingdom of Sand. And then one thing that I'd like to recommend is if people uh, like for their summer to read a classic uh, is that uh, to read a novel, if you can, by Anthony Trollope, if that's the way- My favorite, Bill! Oh, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to know that. That's just wonderful. Beach reads of the past. Well, so I am, uh, once when the pandemic started, I, I, there are several Trollope novels that I have loved, and I was about to read in March, April of 2020, uh, one of my favorite of his books, which is called Can You Forgive Her, which is mm -hmm. the first novel in the Palliser series. And I thought, I'll reread that as a kind of comfort. And then I thought, well, no, let me read uh, a novel of his that I haven't read. So I read uh, He Knew He Was Right, which is an extremely long book, and it started me on an obsessive reading of Trollope over the last few years. Uh, I have now read 12 Trollope novels in the last two years. And I read uh, these two novels that were outside of the series. He knew he was right. And then Orley Farm, which is about a legal case, which is just fabulous. Orley Farm was riveting. And in his own day, it's I think from 1861, uh, a lot of people felt that it was his best novel. Uh, you know, I've not read that one. It's about uh, the what happens, has a will been forged? That's all I'll say. It's about the ownership of a house and has a will been forged. And there's a trial at the center of it. It's just, it's just riveting. And um, so now I reread the Palliser series, which I'd read in the 90s. Um, and then I went on to the series set in Barsetshire. Um, and so uh, I have one Barset novel left, uh, The Last Chronicle of Barset, which I plan to read this summer. And so I will have made my traversal of about 14 Trollope novels by, by then. I was so in this mode in the late 70s and early 80s. And I think, you know, I, I think people might mistake Trollope as a classic in the ponderous category, as opposed to the fact that they really are, to me, the beach reads of the past. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, one of the things that he does so brilliantly is uh, he makes ever makes the plot happen through conversation. There, there is some things obviously that the narrator tells us, but what he does, I think, his great gift, and it's even greater than Jane Austen and uh, Charles Dickens, who obviously have are great in their different ways. This particular thing is that the plot unfolds through very natural conversation, yeah. and you are moving forward propulsively, and these characters come so to life through what they say to one another, rather than long uh, interior monologues, you know, of, of uh, Henry James or something like that, or the narrator telling you what these people are thinking. And one of the things that is most extraordinary too about him is he called himself, I think, a liberal conservative. I mean, it, what his politics are, it's it's very hard to figure out in the in the you know twenty first century. But he was a forward thinking person for his time, and his women characters, even though a lot of it is about the marriage plot and then whether they should be married and well, will they get married and what are the proper morals of a woman? So many of the women characters 
are, are depicted as uh, living their own lives to their right. own, uh, whether they have money or not, living and wanting to live independent lives, even if they're married, and how do they strike the balance between what politics and morality and convention require, and then what their inner needs are. And he's brilliant in novel after novel after novel about that tension and how these women exert their own power in society, within their relationships, within their family circles, within their marriages, and, and also independent because many of the women uh, don't get married or are widows or have held off getting married. And um, the exertion of women's individuality and how they do that is a great theme of his. And even if he comes down often on the conventional ending, he shows how far these women have gone on their own and made their own lives on their own terms. And the conversation is just so really, you just are propelled along. I can't, I could talk about Trollope for another year, so I should. Well, so, you know, I try to, talking about, you know, having a slight allergy, I resist rereading books because I'm always curious, but now you're making me want to reread something. All right, so Bill, I'm going to give you one, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to pick one last book. Okay, uh, the book that I am just starting and uh, I, I'm looking forward to is Tracy Flick, Count Win by Tom Parada, who is a novelist I love. And I have to say, as much as I've read a number of his books, um, I, you know, if you remember, he wrote Little Children, um, he wrote Mrs. Fletcher. Uh, the, uh, the novel that this is a sequel to is Election. And I loved the movie Election, but I've never read the book Election. So I'm reading the sequel to the book Election, Tracy Flick Can't Win, but I'm reading it as a sequel to the movie. And so after I read this, I'll go back and read Election. So I was right. Tom Parada has a book for summer and he's a delightful writer great comic writer and always something meaningful going on in it. So that's my last 10 seconds. All right. So I think we, the, uh, we're, um, everybody is listening to a special edition of summer reads of uh, just the right book. Uh, and we've been talking with Bill Goldstein. I think we've probably given enough uh, titles to you to read this summer, next summer, and the year after, but uh, don't worry, because we'll be back in the fall with even more books. And, you know, I'm a bookseller, so there's nothing wrong with stockpiling these books <laughs> so that you have them when you're ready to read them. I mean, I do find, even if I didn't have the bookstore, that having the books around for the moment or the year that they speak to me is key. I am a stockpiler. My husband hates that. I guess he's gotten used to it, but he would rather not live with the stockpiles. But I am completely like you. And what you were saying before about how the books live in your space and then you finally come to them or they talk to you. Come to you. Yeah. My husband, because I make a fuss about clutter and my husband doesn't see the clutter in quite the same way I do, wants to know why I don't think hundreds and hundreds of books on every surface 
is clutter. I go, that's not clutter, it's books. <laughs> Perfect. I'm using <laughs> that line tonight when my husband comes home. All right. Well, Bill, many thanks for taking the time oh, uh, to talk with us on Just the Right Book and happy reading for the summer. And then we'll see you in September, as they say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Roxanne. All right, Bill. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, Johnny Diamond, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Justin Alvarez. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Roxanne Cody, and thank you so much for listening.